Now, did, let's play that video. Did you see this? Uh, this is for all the Liverpool fans out there. Did you see this video of Jordan Henderson hugging his dad after the Champions League final? I think there's something profound about a really close father-son relationship that speaks to what is an increasingly fatherless generation. More and more people growing up in homes without their dad. Today, in the UK, there are a record number of children growing up in lone parent households with large numbers of people having no meaningful contact with their father. I know some brilliant lone parents who have raised amazing children, but uh, statistics show that without a mum and a dad working together, often the outcomes are much worse for those children and young people. And this is a live issue for us in Bristol. So have a look at this map. Um, in, right in the centre of Bristol, the Ashley and Lawrence Hill wards are amongst the top 20 wards in the whole of the UK in terms of percentage of lone parent households. So something like 67 and 63% of households in those wards are uh, lone parent households. That's from the 2011 census. We should be shocked, shouldn't we? Um, I'm very grateful uh, that I've got a good relationship with my dad. And I've probably told this story before, but uh, when I was a teenager, my dad nearly died. And he actually recovered, but it, it meant we actually got to spend a, spend a lot more time together and actually became a lot closer as a result. Not everyone uh, is as fortunate as I was. Some of you may have had your dad leave your family, or maybe your dad's passed away, or maybe you've never even known your dad. I found this quote in Relevant magazine. It says, as a culture, we tend to think the physical absence is the only form of fatherlessness. But a father can be emotionally distant, uninvolved in their children's lives, workaholics, abusive, or addicted. What they're saying is that a father can be physically present but disengaged from family life or they can become destructive in their behavior. I've had people close to me who have had that experience with their fathers. So it all sounds very bleak, doesn't it? I hope we, we will pick up uh, with some good news in a minute. But what is the prospect for our society if these trends continue? Where is the hope for a generation that's increasingly growing up fatherless, unsure of their identity, their value, and their sense of purpose? As Christians, we believe in a God who is our Father, and that understanding can help us in whatever situation we find ourselves in. So I felt today on Father's Day that we should look at the very last words in the Old Testament. And they speak right into the heart of this issue and provide us with some hope. They appear in the short book of Malachi. And I want us to look at just the last 
two verses. So the words will appear on the screen behind me. Malachi 4, verses 5 and 6. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. And he will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers. Lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. The tone of the book of Malachi is confrontational. And like many of the prophets before him, Malachi is confronting God's people. In verse 6 of chapter 1, God says through Malachi, A son honors his father, but where is the honor due to me? The suggestion is that God's people have lost their love for their God, and they've earned his disapproval. He says in verse 10, I am not pleased with you. And then in chapter 3, we see uh, God disapproves of their unfaithfulness and their exploitation of workers or widows or the fatherless or foreigners. Sounds a little bit familiar, doesn't it? The situation of the people of Israel at that time has many parallels with our modern society. And it can feel a little bit hopeless. You see stats about fatherlessness. Or you hear about gang culture, which is essentially young people looking for a sense of identity and somewhere to belong that maybe they haven't found in their own family. Or you read another story about knife crime and someone else dying on the streets. And you can ask yourself, how will anything change? It seems like a hopeless situation. But God says he will bring about a total transformation. He will send the prophet Elijah who will turn the hearts of fathers to children and children to their fathers. Such powerful emotive words. So how can God send the prophet Elijah? Elijah lived in 900 BC. That's hundreds of years before Malachi. And he was one of the most spectacular prophets of the Old Testament. You can read about him in the book of 1 Kings. And you read God did many extraordinary things through him, like supernatural provision of food, bringing a young man back to life, and even calling down fire from heaven. Jesus explains that God's actually talking about sending John the Baptist. In Matthew chapter 11, Jesus says, if you're willing to accept it, he is the Elijah who was to come. And in Luke chapter 1 verse 17, an angel tells John the Baptist's father, Zechariah, about his baby son. It says this, and he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. So the promise in Malachi and echoed in Luke's gospel is that God will send a prophet in the mold or in the spirit of Elijah 
who will turn the hearts of fathers to their children before God comes to judge the world. That's the hope of a great turnaround. Something new was being promised for the people of Israel, a new way of relating to God, not just following God's commands, but being able to relate to God as their father. And for us, we can look back now from our place in history at John the Baptist and see how he was preparing a way for Jesus to come. John wasn't the big deal, but just like many of the prophets, he was a sign pointing to Jesus. Jesus is the hope for transformation, for people to be able to know God as their father. So here's the key thing that I want us to see. To have our hearts turned to our fathers and turned to our children, we must first receive the love of our perfect Father God. Let's look at just a few of the ways the Bible says that God shows his fatherly love for us. Psalm 27 verse 10, though my father and mother forsake me, the Lord will receive me. God accepts you for who you are, where we can feel expectations to perform or to earn the love or attention of our earthly parents or those who have been given responsibility for us. We don't have to do that with God. He knew you and loved you before the creation of the world. So you can rest in his love. Or what about Psalm 68 verse 5? A father to the fatherless, a defender of widows, is God in his holy dwelling. You may feel fatherless or abandoned, but he's a father to you. He takes responsibility even where others fail to do so. And he's not just an authority figure. He cares deeply for you. In Matthew chapter 6, Jesus is talking to his disciples and saying, you don't need to worry. You know, Stuart remarked on my jumper today how nice it was. Thanks for noticing, Stuart. Um, uh, Jesus says, you don't need to worry about what you're going to wear tomorrow or what you're going to eat. Your father feeds the birds of the air and makes the grass grow. He knows you and he knows what you need. So you can trust him. And in Matthew chapter 7, verse 11, he says this, If you then, who are evil or imperfect, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? He's a good Father. He knows what you need. And when Jesus teaches his disciples to pray, what does he teach them to pray? Dear Lord, please help me. No, he says, Our Father in heaven, holy is your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done. We can pray to our loving Father God, knowing that he hears us, that he's listening, and that he answers. One of the most famous stories that Jesus ever told was about a father who had two sons. 
the youngest son, comes to the father and says, I want my inheritance. That was tantamount to saying, I wish you were dead now so that I could have all of my money that I'm due. Uh, but the father, rather than getting angry, I think I'd get angry if one of my children said to me, Dad, could you just uh, get on your merry way now? No, rather than getting angry or rejecting his children, he says, yes, have your inheritance now. And the son goes off and squanders all of the wealth. He lives a pretty wanton and sinful lifestyle. And then he becomes destitute. And he gets to the point where he thinks to himself, the hired workers who work for my dad are better off than I am. And so he starts rehearsing an apology to go back to his father and see whether maybe his dad would take him back. In the meantime, what's his father doing? You can read about this story in Luke chapter 15. Every day, the father goes out and he watches the road. There's no one there. But then one day, he sees a figure in the distance. You know how sometimes you can look and you, you can't see someone's face, maybe you see a silhouette, but even by the way they walk, you can tell who it is. It's his son. My son, who was lost, is back. And before the son can even get out an apology, the father runs to him and hugs him. My son, my boy, you're home. Such a beautiful picture of God's heart of love and compassion for us. Nothing we've done or earned or deserved. Just how he feels about you. And it's beautifully captured in this picture, a painting by Charlie Mackesy. How can we know that kind of love from God. We can know it through Jesus. Jesus says in John chapter 10, verse 30, I and the Father are one. He also says in John 14, verse 6, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. No one can know God, let alone have a relationship with him apart from through Jesus. The Apostle Paul writes in his letter to the Ephesian church in chapter 1 that in love, God predestined us. He planned for us to be adopted as sons through Jesus Christ. We need to understand that we can be adopted into God's family through Jesus by believing in him, by believing in his perfect life, in his death on the cross, and him rising from the dead, we can have a restored relationship with our Father in heaven. We're saved from that decree of utter destruction that Malachi writes about, the coming judgment that God will have on every person. When we sinned 
and rebelled against God, we fractured our relationship with God. But through Jesus, it can be restored. And so we can be adopted into his family. In another letter by Paul to the church in Rome, he says, you've received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. That word Abba, it's like a child's first words, Daddy, Papa. It's like the most intimate kind of knowledge of a father. This is for all of us, whether you're a parent, whether you're a carer, we all need to know how much God loves us as a father. And it's something we can feel and experience. I didn't grow up uh, growing to church when I was young, but I knew that my parents loved me. But they were of that generation, uh, some of you may relate to this, where they would show their love, but they wouldn't necessarily say the words. And there was this point, I think in my late teens, um, probably soon before I became a Christian, where my dad and I had a blazing row. Now, I, I can't really remember many arguments at all, but it was definitely the biggest argument we ever had. And it was something I thought was so unfair that I shouted and I'm sorry, I'm ashamed to say, I even swore at my dad. I don't think I'd ever sworn at him before. I certainly haven't since. Um, and it was awful. And it was a kind of a storm out row. And then a while later, we got back together and we said sorry to one another. And my dad said, I love you. And I think it was possibly the first time I remember him saying those words to me. I'd known it before, but in that moment of kind of forgiveness that unlocks a situation, we said sorry to one another, and in that moment, I felt his love. He said the words, and I felt it, and I knew it. And we can know that from God. We can feel it and experience it by his spirit. This is something we both need to receive and something that we can share with other people. Out of that place of knowing that we're loved by God, we can be equipped to do the same for our own children and for the generation that follow us. If we understand how much we're loved, then we can start to father a fatherless generation. But you might say, the need is so great. What possible difference could little old me make? Well, I think God wants to give you his heart. I don't know whether you have ever heard the story of Dick and Rick Hoyt. Uh, Dick Hoyt was a father whose son was born um, paraplegic and with cerebral palsy. And when his son got into his teens uh, in the mid-1970s, he said to his dad he wanted to run a five-mile race uh, in order to raise money for charity. And so his dad put him in the wheelchair, and they ran the five miles with him pushing his son. And 
Here's a picture of them a bit later on. They subsequently ran uh, over a thousand races. Uh, they even competed in marathons and triathlons. And for the swim in the triathlon, the dad would drag a canoe. And they had a specially mounted seat on a bike for the, for the cycle. And then back to this for the run. The son was at one point asked, if you could do one thing for your dad, what would you do? And he said, I'd like to run a marathon with my dad in the chair and me pushing him. This is a man who has so understood his dad's love that his heart was for his dad. That's what God wants to do. He wants to turn our hearts to our fathers and turn our hearts to our children as well. You may not know, but in the UK, every year, 40,000 children are taken into care. And in Bristol, there are children in council-run children's homes. You think, no, surely that's, that's from a bygone era. But it is true. There are far more children that are unwanted than are found homes for. And there are children that may be in households or in some kind of family situation, but they're neglected. And they're in households all across this city. There are children growing up in lone parent families or being fostered or adopted. Some of them are in our church, praise God. But they and their carers need our love and support. If we're called as a church to help Bristol believe, then surely we have a role to play in making a difference in children's lives. So, what can we do? If you're a parent, you can develop as a parent. If you've never read the parenting book by Nikki and Scylla Lee, or if you've never done a parenting course, then why don't you do that? Or you can look at the Care for the Family website, who have some great resources. Or if you're interested in fostering or adoption, you can look at the Home for Good website. And now we're going to get very, very practical. Here are some things that we can all do, whether you're a parent or not. I'm afraid they spell out the word pest. This is in no way a reflection of my view of my own children or of other people's children, for that matter. Um, here we go. First one is pray. Commit to pray for your children every day. Let me tell you how we do it as a family. Jess and I don't get up at 4.30 in the morning and spend two hours praying for our children, do we? No. But we do uh, often spend time together praying for our children. And we always say, oh, we should do this more. Um, but we do it sometimes. And we pray for them at bedtime every day without fail. Our prayer for them has always been 
really simple, that they would come to know Jesus for themselves at some point and that they would be kind. I'm not so worried about what they get for their GCSEs or what their salary will be in later life. If they follow Jesus and they're kind, then that will be a great foundation for their lives. We can also pray for the younger generation, the millions of children that are growing up without a dad or without a good male role model. Let's just interrupt the application to pray for dads. So if you're a dad here, it uh, doesn't matter what era, um, would you stand? And if you're a carer, like a foster carer or adoptive father or anything like that, please stand. Let's just pray for the dads, shall we? You can pray with me. Father, I want to thank you for these men that are standing before you. I thank you for the awesome responsibility that they've been given to father, to cherish children. Lord, and we stand before you as imperfect fathers, and probably me, the most imperfect of all of us standing. But Lord, we, we ask for your help. Lord, we need your help. Please pour out your spirit on us. Give us your grace. Give us your heart of compassion for our children and for countless children around us who need to be loved and encouraged and cherished. We ask for your help in Jesus' name. Amen. Please take a seat. Uh, so, pray. Secondly, encourage. This is your main job, to encourage, not to criticize. I fall into the trap of criticizing my children too much, I confess. Uh, but I don't want my kids to live in fear of doing the wrong things, constantly second-guessing themselves or feeling like they're just going to get criticized all the time. As I was preparing, I felt like some of you have had terrible things said to you by your dad. I know some women that have been criticized by their father on their wedding day. The, probably the, the highlight of any woman's life and their dad who should be their greatest advocate and champion has just said critical things on their wedding day. Or maybe whether you're a man or a woman, you've been deeply wounded by something that your dad has said. I felt to say to you, that's not how your Father in heaven views you. Those aren't the words that he speaks over you and your life. He loves you. You're precious to him. And he delights in you. And he wants you to know it. So for me, in how I parent, I want to encourage good attitudes and behavior wherever possible, like being kind. And by the way, we also need to correct wrong attitudes and behaviors. There is a worrying trend of parents thinking that their little darlings can do no wrong. You know, so if, if little Tommy goes around to a neighbor's house and then like smashes up their furniture. It's like, oh, Tommy, isn't he a delight? No, he's not a delight. He's just smashed up the neighbor's house. So 
uh, we need to encourage the good and correct the bad where we observe it. That's part of our responsibility. And you can be an encourager whether you're a parent or not. Maybe you're in some kind of caring profession. Maybe you're a teacher. You have a vital role to play in children's lives. But even if you have little responsibility for children yourself, you can be a positive influence and encourage them. Thirdly, spend time. Spend regular quality time with your kids. Being together and having fun. Again, we probably don't do it enough, but Jess and I try regularly to spend one-to-one -one time with each of our children. That might be going for a walk or grabbing a hot chocolate. And we prioritize time together as a family, particularly mealtimes and weekends and holidays. We need to get our priorities straight. Sometimes, as a parent, you can feel pressure. I must work loads and loads of hours in order to provide for my family. But then if you've got no time left to actually spend with your family, then priorities are out of kilter. Or you can think, oh, it's another church meeting that I need to go to. As an elder of this church, I give you permission to go to less church meetings and spend more time with your family and with your children. You heard it here first. Um, maybe you can give time or support to lone parents and their children or spend time with people who are fostering or adopting. I know from talking to amazing, amazing people like Angus and Phoebe Howie that fostering is one of the most demanding things that you can do. And those people need our prayer and our support. And then finally, talk. Talk to your children and listen to them. Communication is the key in any relationship. Jess and I are still working on this one after nearly 20 years of marriage. Communication is vital. When I'm talking to new fathers, my advice to them is give your children attention. Like if your child wants to talk to you, put your phone away or switch it off. Or even if you're watching the football and they suddenly want to have a, I know, and they want to have a conversation with you, turn the TV off. Don't pretend to show interest, but really watch to see whether Man United have actually won a game. Um, remove distractions. Look into their eyes engage with them. It's probably the most important thing you can do for your children is to give them your undivided attention. So, pray, encourage, spend time, talk. Don't worry. It's not like this is the to-do list for us to be better parents or better Christians. And it's like, oh, this is the homework for this week. I'm not saying that. But what I am saying understand God's love for you. And then, out of that place of receiving, you find grace, and you actually want to do these things. I want to love my parents. I want to care for my children. I want to provide for other people that don't have that. Our role for our children is ultimately not to teach them, it's to love them. 
if they understand our love, then they will be secure. So, please stand with me. The band are going to come back. And my response is very, very simple this morning. It's not things that you need to do. As we sing, I want you to come and receive God's love. I want you to come to God and say, please fill me with your spirit. Please help me to know that you love me, that you're for me, that everything I need, you provide. So I'm just going to pray and then we'll sing. Father, we thank you so much for your love that you supremely demonstrated in sending your son Jesus to die on the cross for us. I pray for each one of us here today that we would experience your love for us. It wouldn't just be head knowledge. It wouldn't just be something we observe in other people. But I pray it would be something we would feel in our hearts from you. Thank you that you are a good father. Thank you that you care deeply for each one of us. Come and help us to know your love today. I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.